Section 17 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 10, European Leaders, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Prince Bismarck, Part 4. Bismarck's rewards for his great services were magnificent, quite equal to those of Wellington or Marlborough. He received another valuable estate, this time from his sovereign, which gift made him one of the greatest landed proprietors of Prussia. He was created a prince, he was decorated with the principal orders of Europe, he had augmented power as Chancellor of Confederated Germany, he was virtual dictator of his country, which he absolutely ruled in the name of a wearied old man past seventy years of age. But the minister's labors and vexations do not end with the Franco-German War. During the years that immediately follow, he is still one of the hardest-worked men in Europe. He receives one thousand letters and telegrams a day. He has to manage an unpractical legislative assembly, clamorous for new privileges, and attend to the complicated affairs of a great empire, and direct his diplomatic agents in every country of Europe. He finds that the sanctum of a one-man power is not a bed of roses. Sometimes he seeks rest and recreation on one of his estates, but labors and public duties follow him wherever he goes. He is too busy and preoccupied even for pleasure, unless he is hunting boars and stags. He seems to care but little for art of any kind except music, but once in his life has he ever visited the Museum of Berlin. He never goes to the theater. He appears as little as possible in the streets, but when recognized he is stared at as a wonder. He lives hospitably, but plainly, and in a palace with few ornaments or luxuries. He enshrouds himself in mystery, but not in gloom. Few dare approach him, for his manners are brusque and rough, and he is feared more even than he is honored. His aspect is stern and haughty, except when he occasionally unbends. In his family he is simple, frank, and domestic, but in public he is the cold and imperative dictator. Even the royal family are uncomfortable in his commanding and majestic presence. Everybody stands in awe of him but his wife and children. He caresses only his dogs. He eats but once a day, but his meal is enough for five men. He drinks a quart of beer or wine without taking the cup from his mouth. He smokes incessantly generally a long Turkish pipe. He sleeps irregularly, disturbed by thoughts which fill his troubled brain. Honored is the man who is invited to his table, even if he be the ambassador of a king, for at table the host is frank and courteous, and not overbearing like a literary dictator. He is well read in history, but not in art or science or poetry. His stories are admirable when he is in convivial mood. All sit round him in silent admiration, for no one dares more than suggest the topic. He does all the talking himself. Bayard Taylor, when United States Minister at Berlin, was amazed and confounded by his freedom of speech and apparent candor. He is frank in matters he does not care to conceal, and simple as a child when not disputed or withstood, but when opposed, fierce as a lion, a spoiled man of success, yet not intoxicated with power, haughty and irritable, perhaps, but never vain like a French statesman in office, a Webster rather than a Thiers. Such was the man who ruled the German Empire with an iron hand for twenty years or more, the more remarkable man of power known to history for seventy-five years, immortal like Cavour, and for his services even more than his abilities. He had raised Prussia to the front rank among nations, and created German unity. He had quietly effected more than Richelieu ever aspired to perform, for Richelieu sought only to build up a great throne, while Bismarck had united a great nation in patriotic devotion to fatherland, which, so far as we can see, is as invincible as it is enlightened. 
enlightened in everything except democratic ideas i will not dwell on the career and character of prince bismarck since the franco-prussian war after that he was not identified with any great national movements which command universal interest his labors were principally confined to german affairs quarrels with the reichstag settlement of difficulties with the various states of the germanic confederation the consolidation of the internal affairs of the empire while he carried on diplomatic relations with other great powers efforts to gain the goodwill of russia and secure the general peace of europe these and a multitude of other questions too recent to be called historical he dealt with in all of which his autocratic sympathies called out the censures of the advocates of greater liberty and diminished his popularity for twenty years his will was the law of the german confederation though bitterly opposed at times by the liberals he was always sustained by his imperial master who threw the burdens of state on his herculean shoulders sometimes too great to bear with placidity his foreign policy was then less severely criticized than his domestic which was alternate success and failure the war which he raged with the spiritual power was perhaps the most important event of his administration and in which he had not altogether his own way underrating as is natural to such a man spiritual forces as compared with material in his memorable quarrel with rome he appeared to the least advantage at first rigid severe and arbitrary with the catholic clergy even to persecution driving away the jesuits 1872 shutting up schools and churches imprisoning and fining ecclesiastical dignitaries intolerant in some cases as the inquisition itself one-fourth of the people of the empire are catholics yet he sternly sought to suppress their religious rights and liberties as they regarded them thinking he could control them by material penalties such as taking away their support and shutting them up in prison forgetting that conscientious christians whether catholics or protestants will in matters of religion defy the mightiest rulers no doubt the policy of the catholics of germany was extremely irritating to a despotic ruler who would exalt the temporal over the spiritual power and equally true was it that the pope himself was unyielding in regard to the liberties of his church demanding everything and giving back nothing in accordance with the uniform traditions of papal domination the catholics the world over look upon the education of their children as a thing to be superintended by their own religious teachers as their inalienable right and imperative duty and any state interference with this right and this duty they regard as religious persecution to which they will never submit without hostility and relentless defiance bismarck felt that to concede to the demands which the catholic clergy have ever made in respect to religious privileges was to go to canossa where henry the fourth emperor of germany in ten seventy seven humiliated himself before pope gregory the seventh in order to gain absolution the long-sighted and experienced thiers remarked that here bismarck was on the wrong track and would be compelled to retreat with all his power bismarck was too wise a man to persist in attempting impossibilities and after a bitter fight he became conciliatory he did not go to canossa but he yielded to the dictates of patriotism and enlightened policy and the quarrel was patched up his long struggles with the catholics told upon his health and spirits and he was obliged to seek long periods of rest and recreation on his estates sometimes under great embarrassments and irritations threatening to resign to which his imperial master grateful and dependent would never under any circumstances consent but the prince president of the ministers and chancellor of the empire was loaded down with duties in his cabinet in his office and in the parliament most onerous to bear which no other man in germany was equal to his burdens at times were intolerable his labors were prodigious 
and the opposition he met with was extremely irritating to a man accustomed to have his own way in everything another thing gave him great solicitude taxed to the utmost his fertile brain and that was the rising and widespreading doctrines of socialism which was to germany what nihilism is to russia and fenianism was to ireland based on discontent unbelief and desperate schemes of unpractical reform leading to the assassination even of emperors themselves how to deal with this terrible foe to all governments all laws and all institutions was a most perplexing question at first he was inclined to the most rigorous measures to a war of utter extermination but how could he deal with the enemies he could neither see nor find omnipresent and invisible and unscrupulous as satanic furies fanatics whom no reasoning could touch and no laws control whether human or divine as experience and thought enlarged his mental vision he came to the conclusion that the real source and spring of that secret and organized hostility which he deplored but was unable to reach and to punish were evils in the government and evils in the structure of society aggravating inequality grinding poverty ignorance and the hard struggle for life accordingly he devoted his energies to improve the general condition of the people and make the struggle for life easier in his desire to equalize burdens he resorted to indirect rather than direct taxation to high tariffs and protective duties to develop german industry throwing to the winds his earlier beliefs in the theories of the manchester school of political economy and all speculative ideas as to the blessings of free trade for the universe in general he bought for the government the various prussian railroads in order to have uniformity of rates and remove vexatious discriminations which only a central power could effect in short he aimed to develop the material resources of the country both to ensure financial prosperity and to remove those burdens which press heavily on the poor on one point however his policy was inexorable and that was to suffer no reduction of the army but rather to increase it to the utmost extent that the nation could bear not with the view of future conquest or military aggrandizement as some thought but as an impressive necessity to guard the empire from all hostile attacks whether from france or russia or both combined a country surrounded with enemies as germany is in the centre of europe without the natural defences of the sea which england enjoys or great chains of mountains on her borders difficult to penetrate and easy to defend as is the case with switzerland must have a superior military force to defend her in case of future contingencies which no human wisdom can foresee nor is it such a dreadful burden to support a peace establishment of four hundred and fifty thousand men as some think one soldier for every one hundred inhabitants trained and disciplined to be intelligent and industrious when his short term of three years of active service shall have expired much easier to bear i fancy than the burden of supporting five paupers or more to every hundred inhabitants as in england and scotland in eighteen eighty eight bismarck made a famous speech in the reichstag to show the necessity of prussia's being armed he had no immediate fears of russia he said he professed to believe that she would keep peace with germany but he spoke of numerous distinct crises within forty years when prussia was on the verge of being drawn into a general european war which diplomacy fortunately averted and such as now must be warded off by being too strong for attack he mentioned the crimean war in eighteen fifty three the italian war in eighteen fifty eight the polish rebellion in eighteen sixty three the schweischwig holstein embroilment which so neatly set all europe by the ears the austro-prussian war of eighteen sixty six the luxembourg dispute in eighteen sixty seven the franco-german war of eighteen seventy the balkan war of eighteen seventy seven the various aspects of the eastern question changes of government in france etc 
each of which in its time threatened the great coalition war which germany had thus far been kept out of but which bismarck wished to provide against for the future the long and short of it is said he that we must be as strong as we possibly can be in these days we have the capability of being stronger than any other nation of equal population in the world and it would be a crime if we did not use this capability we must make still greater exertions than other powers for the same ends on account of our geographical position we lie in the midst of europe we have at least three sides open to attack god has placed on one side of us the french a most warlike and restless nation and he has allowed the fighting tendencies of russia to become great so we are forced into measures which perhaps we would not otherwise make and the very strength for which we strive shows that we are inclined to peace for with such a powerful machine as we wish to make the german army no one would undertake to attack us we germans fear god but nothing else in the world and it is the fear of god which causes us to love and cherish peace such was the avowed policy of bismarck and i believe in his sincerity to foster friendly relations with other nations and to maintain peace for the interests of humanity as well as for germany which can be secured only by preparing for war and with such an array of forces as to secure victory it was not with foreign powers that he had the greatest difficulty but to manage the turbulent elements of internal hostilities and jealousies and oppose the anarchic forces of doctrinaires visionary dreamers clerical aggressors and socialistic incendiaries foes alike of a stable government and of ultimate progress in the management of the eternal affairs of the empire he cannot be said to have been as successful as was cavour in italy he was not in harmony with the spirit of the age nor was he wise his persistent opposition to the freedom of the press was as great an error as his persecution of the catholics and his insatiable love of power grasping all the great offices of the state was a serious offence in the eyes of a jealous master the present emperor whom he did not take sufficient pains to conciliate the greatness of bismarck was not as administrator of an empire but rather as the creator of an empire and which he raised to greatness by diplomatic skill his distinguishable excellence was in the management of foreign affairs and in this power he has never been surpassed by any foreign minister contrary to all calculations this great proud man who has ruled germany with so firm a hand for thirty years and whose services have been unparalleled in the history of statesmen was not too high to fall but he fell because a young inexperienced and ambitious sovereign apt pupil of his own in the divine right of monarchs to govern and yet seemingly inspired by a keen sensitiveness to his people's wants and the spirit of the age could not endure his commanding ascendancy and haughty dictation and accepted his resignation offered in a moment of pique he fell even as wolsey fell before henry the eighth too great a man for a subject yet always loyal to the principles of legitimacy and the will of his sovereign but he retired at the age of seventy-five with princely estates unexampled honors and the admiration and gratitude of his countrymen with the consciousness of having elevated them to the proudest position in continental europe the aged emperor william i died in eighteen eighty eight full of years and of honors his son the emperor frederick died a few months later leaving a deep respect and a genuine sorrow the grandson the present emperor william the second has been called a modern man notwithstanding certain proclivities which still adhere to him like pieces of the shell of an egg from which the bird has issued he is yet an unsolved problem but may be regarded not without hope for a wise strong and useful reign 
the builder of his country's greatness however was too deeply enshrined in the hearts of his countrymen to remain in shadow after more than three years of retirement bismarck received from the young emperor on january twenty sixth eighteen ninety four an invitation to visit the imperial palace in berlin his journey and reception in the capital were the occasion of tumultuous public rejoicings and when the emperor met him the reconciliation was complete the time-worn veteran did not again assume office but he was the frequent recipient of appreciative mention by the kaiser in public rescripts and speeches and on his seventy-ninth birthday april first eighteen ninety four he received from the emperor a greeting by letter and a steel cuirass as a symbol of the german gratitude on the same day the castle at friedrichsroh was filled with rare and costly presents from all over germany and bismarck banquets were held in all the principal cities it was well that before this grand figure passed away forever the german gratitude to him should have found expression again especially from the sovereign who owed to the great chancellor his own peculiar eminence in the earth as for prince bismarck with all his faults and no man is perfect i love and honor this courageous giant who has under such vexatious opposition secured the glory of the prussian monarchy and the unity of germany who has been conscientious in the discharge of his duties as he has understood them in the fear of god a modern cromwell in another cause whose fame will increase with the advancing ages authorities professor seeley's life of stein hezekiel's biography of bismarck and the life of prince bismarck by charles lowe are the books to which i am most indebted for the compilation of this chapter but one may profitably read the various histories of the franco-prussian war the life of prince hardenberg the life of moltke the life of scharnhorst and the life of william von humboldt an excellent abridgment of german history during this century is furnished by professor Mueller. the speech of prince bismarck in the german reichstag february eighteen eighty eight i have found very instructive and interesting a sort of resume of his own political life end of section seventeen